The, uh, the painting uh, before you on, on the screen there, uh, it's uh, Ruth and Naomi and Orpah. Uh, the painting was done by, by Kira Markham in 1959. Um, Markham was the one-time wife of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, if you're familiar with the, uh, the famous architect from Chicago. Uh, and uh, it's an interesting picture. I mean, we, we see uh, Orpah uh, leaving and, uh, and Esther and, uh, not Esther, Wrong story. Ruth and uh, Naomi, <laughs> um, they're together. And something interesting, I don't have my, my, my clicker, but on the hill behind them, you see it looks like there's three things back there. I kind of think that that might be the graves of their husbands. It, it's really kind of a sad picture. And, and it's a, a really rather um, devastating situation that these ladies find themselves in. The, the story begins as kind of the story of, a, uh, of an old woman, but it ends up the story of a, of a family. Uh, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, uh, they lived in Bethlehem. Yes, that Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Um, this is probably six, seven hundred years uh, before that. And, uh, and, and they live in, a, in Bethlehem, and, and a famine caused them to have to move. This was not an uncommon thing in the Middle East. Still is not an uncommon thing, unfortunately. Uh, and, uh, and, and they leave, and maybe that's something that you can relate to. Perhaps at some point in your life you lost a job, and you had to move to a different town or a different community in, in order to find work, to provide for the family. And in this case, it says that they moved to a different country, the country of Moab. And that's important because they're living in a different culture, and there's a different religion there, and a different God. And in, in this land, um, it's a different country, but the distance isn't really that far by today's standards. Um, somewhere between 50 and 100 miles. So Moab was on the, uh, the southeast corner of, of the, the Dead Sea, and it's part of uh, the country that we would call Jordan today, if you're familiar with the, uh, the, the geography of the Middle East. They, they moved their family, their two sons. They lived there 10 years. And in that time, Elimelech died. But, but Naomi has two sons, and Malin and Killian are, are capable, and, and they, they are taking care of the, the family. And they meet a couple girls in the neighborhood, so to speak. And they get married. And, and while there's sadness there, there there's, there's good stuff happening. Because Orpah and, and Ruth are good daughters-in-law. But then the sons died, too. What are three widows to do in the ancient Middle East? Really, the only good option was to return to their families and to live off of the kindness of their relatives. So Naomi heads back to Bethlehem. And Orpah and Ruth, they decide to go with her. But Naomi urges them to leave, to go live. They're still young. They could still get married again and have a family. She's like, go, 
Go back to your families. Go back to your God. And, and you know, have a family and live life. And Orpah does. And that's kind of in the picture there. She's walking away. But Ruth refuses. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. What was it in this relationship between Ruth and Naomi that made her so, made Ruth so dead set that she was not going to leave Naomi? I, I think that it was because Ruth met the one true God through her husband and through her mother-in-law. Ruth doesn't want to go back to her family. She does not want to go back to her old God because she sees what the true God does and sees his love and his mercy and forgiveness. She's come to believe in the God of Israel and she wants to stay with her mother-in-law because she has truly left her family of origin and she has completely become a member of Naomi's family. And in doing so, she completely becomes part of God's family. She will not leave her mother-in-law. She loves her. They are bound together in marriage, in tragedy, in faith, and in hope. This, this is a beautiful story, isn't it? You heartless people. You should all be like, yes, this is a beautiful story. You've got tears coming down. This is beautiful. And what God does with this is amazing. How he takes this very broken situation and he pours salvation into it. Because Ruth, this, this Moabite who is outside of God's family, who becomes part of God's family, really becomes part of God's family, doesn't she? As the grandmother of David, as the great, 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 however many greats, grandmother of Jesus. It is beautiful to see how God connects these people together and how he, he uses this, this family. And he does something wonderful through them. Often, when I write my, my newsletter articles, I address you as brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's family language. Jesus teaches us to call God our Father. And the scriptures speak of us being adopted into God's family. Uh, like in Romans 8, verse 15, it says that we received a spirit of adoption and can cry out, Abba. And it's not just that God is Father, but He is Daddy. Much more intimate. And as God is our father, children of the same father, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So in a sense, when we gather here together, we gather together as a family. And we're here in this community. We need this. We need the community of being family just as it says of Adam in Genesis 2, it's not good that the man be alone. We are not meant to live alone. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're always supposed to be surrounded by other people. Jesus himself went off by himself to pray, but then he came back. We, we need this time together. There is a connection between us because we are in Christ, and that connection is good. It is a blessing. I, I think we have a neat example of this in our gospel lesson today. Um, this image of these 10 lepers who, who come to Jesus. Leprosy is a terrible disease, right? Um, the people who get this, they've got to go off and they've got to live by themselves. They're cut off from their families, from their communities, from anyone who didn't have leprosy. They, you know, they literally walk, you know, warn everybody that we're coming so that you can stay away. So what did lepers do? They formed their own community. And it's interesting that they even welcomed the Samaritan into this little community. Did you notice that? Remember the history. The Jews and the Samaritans, there's a real racist problem there. They hate each other. But this brokenness that the leprosy brings into their life, it's so overwhelming that these Jewish lepers will actually welcome a Samaritan into the midst because they need this community. They need to come together. Their need overrode their cultural prejudices. We are called to life together. As Psalm 133 says, it is good and it is sweet when we dwell together in unity. Some of you might be familiar with, uh, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We did a study uh, about him a few years ago. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. Uh, he actually was part of an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler, um, which, you know, fascinating story and uh, definitely worth reading up on. But in his career, he wrote a really good little book called Life Together, in which he points out that it really is a blessing to have brothers and sisters in Christ, to be part of a family of believers. He says, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. In the end, all of, in the end, all of his disciples abandoned him. On the cross, he was all alone, surrounded by criminals and the jeering crowds. He had come for the express purpose of being peace to the enemies of God. And so he lived in the midst of his enemies. And we too, as the children of God, are called to live in the midst of our enemies. Now, I, I probably need to take a little bit of a time out on that because um, I bet you some of you don't like that word enemies. I actually thought about, how could I rephrase this? How could I, how could I soften this language a little bit? Because that word enemies is kind of offensive. But then I remembered something that, that Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. He said, love your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. We actually read that as one of our scripture readings back in February. If Jesus speaks of having enemies, is it okay to expect to have enemies? I think it makes sense. But if we recognize that we have enemies, how are we then to respond to them? What did Jesus say? 
Come on, people, I just read it. Love them. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. The problem isn't having enemies. The problem is in how do we respond when we have enemies. This world is full of temptations. There will be struggles with needs and desires. There are unjust systems and people at work in this world. There will be celebrations and there will be brokenness. And while there are many rich blessings in this life, there are many harmful and deadly things here too. And some of them are spiritually deadly. And we have to be aware of that. As Jesus said in our gospel lesson last week, temptations are sure to come, but woe to the person by whom they come. Bonhoeffer recognized that this world is not neutral. He saw the evil of the Third Reich. And that led him to understand that this, what we have here, is something special. The ability to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ is not to be taken for granted. The blessing of being part of a community of faith is not necessarily a given. He says, the Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. This is a gift. What we are doing here is so important. This is a witness. It is a testimony to one another, but also to the world. And Jesus is at work here in your story, in my story, to bring about salvation for you and for me and for others, just as he worked in Ruth and in her family. This this time together as a family is a good thing. This place is a blessing for us. The people here, the congregation, are a gift from God to encourage one another, to walk together in faith, to know you're not alone. Is that meaningful? Have you ever been in that spot where you're just, I'm the only one. But then you come here and Jesus speaks through his word to you to comfort you, to forgive your sins, to give you life and salvation. And have you ever noticed that sometimes that happens not here, but through your conversations with one another? That God puts the right word in the mouth of one of your friends sitting in the pews. This is good. This is, this is a blessing. It's here that we receive God's grace in the word and in the sacraments. And it's here that many of us have friends who encourage us, give us grace, show us Jesus' love as they deal with us patiently. You ever need somebody to deal with you patiently? Yeah, me too. It's a blessing to our community, too, as we gather to pray for our community. Have you noticed that in our prayers we are always praying for the government? 
Jesus teaches us to do that. And do you believe that God hears our prayers and blesses people through them? The work that we do here, it matters. And we do good for our community too. Actual physical work as well. We're here to strive together because God's kingdom has come to us. And we want to share the saving work of Jesus with one another and with the world. We're here to work together. Because raising children in the faith, loving our neighbors, growing in maturity of faith, and following God's word is hard. And having other Christians around us People who, who experience the, the, the same struggles and, and joys and heartaches and blessings helps us stay on mission. We're here to sacrifice together. And I don't mean that in the Old Testament sense. We have an altar, but there's no blood coming off the altar here. We sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasures because together, we, we, we can use our resources to do so much more than we can do alone. So we bring our time and our talents and our treasures together. And we put them at God's disposal. Recognizing that he's the one who has given them to us. And then we see how he will bless them. How he will use them. How he will bless us and use us. We're here to serve Christ. We're here to do something together for Christ's sake. And know that it is for Christ's sake that we serve. Because he first served us. He's our savior. He's our redeemer, our light, and our life. He is our reason for being. He makes us a family brothers and sisters, in him. And that is a great blessing. Amen.